You're listening to Give and Go Vikes with Liam and Tyler, supported by the UVic Alumni Association. So today on the podcast, we have an exciting episode with Becca Frangos. She is a climber on the Canadian national team, and she's uh, doing some pretty cool stuff on the climbing circuit, traveling the world. Uh, And she's also got some pretty big uh, Olympic hopeful dreams as well. So we're going to be chatting with her about that in just a moment. But before we get to that, we have some big news from the department. Our associate director of sport, James Keogh, has decided to leave the program at the end of August. He's been with the Vikes for 19 years, and I can definitely say that in my first year with the Vikes, he's been instrumental to my success. Tyler, what has he meant to you? You know, I echo those thoughts too, Liam. I can't imagine what we would have done this year hosting four national championships without James and all of his expertise. Uh, You, me, person you share an office with, Larissa McKinley, we're all, you know, we got thrown into it, you know, a couple of weeks before the soccer season. We really didn't know what was going on and how everything operated and you know James was always there to help us out and guide us in the right direction and I can't imagine trying to pull this off without him if you know there was someone else in that position for the three of us but also you know I mean 19 years with the program James was a rower here with the men's team and before moving into a job with the athletic department 19 years I mean how long have you ever held down one job consecutively for the only job I've held down for longer is uh, my life, 26 years. Yeah, exactly. In interviews, I joke and call myself the career intern because I seemingly go from intern role to maternity fill-in, and now I have this secondment fill-in. So the longest I've ever had a job is a little over two years, and that felt like a lifetime. So I can't even imagine what it's going to be like for James to leave the program later this summer. Yeah, he's, he's brought a lot of expertise to the table and has definitely helped a lot of people in the department uh, fill in the gaps when it comes to new hires as well as new projects that he has experience in. So we're definitely going to miss James. I'm, I'm hopeful that we're going to see him popping by Vikes games every so often and supporting the rowing community too. But yeah, he's definitely going to be a, a missed voice and a missed face around the office. Yeah, and he was also a big help in getting this podcast up and running. Uh, you know, he gave us a lot of ideas, a lot of uh, potential future guests to use. So, you know, we owe a lot to James and we're on, uh, this is episode number two. We've got a bunch recorded, but these, this will be the second one you guys hear. This is the second and last one that we used with the previous app. I'm not gonna, not gonna name it. I don't want to throw anyone under the bus here, but we once again experienced some technical difficulties towards the end of this interview and, which is too bad because we had a fun little game going on once again at my expense, which is seeming to be bit of a trend here which uh we'll see how that goes pretty consistent i think it's it's a you're a bit of an easy target especially when you're on just uh another set of headphones across the water yeah so we did that terminology quiz with becca one thing i do want to give the listeners a heads up if you haven't seen the dawn wall a great climbing documentary on netflix just you're going to want to fast forward the last few minutes in the interview there's a couple spoilers that come out so don't want to ruin a great documentary for anyone who hasn't seen it just yet. You love the Dawn Wall. I'm telling you, man, movies don't hit me like that. I got emotional at that one. That is a great one. There's another one too. I don't know if it's, is Dawn Wall the one that talks about Yosemite from like the seventies onwards? No. Okay. You gotta watch that one. I forget what that one's called. Okay. I'll look that one up. Well, Liam, 
we got uh, Becca coming up here. What are some of the takeaways? What did stood out from you with this uh, great chat we had with the climber? I think it was unique to talk to Becca because climbing is such an up and coming sport. And a lot of, a lot of people know what it's like to recreationally go climb at, at gyms like Carsa, Boulder House, Craig X in town. But uh, there's a whole nother level of these three different types of climbing that people compete on and on an, on an international circuit. I personally did not know a lot about that circuit myself and to get Becca's insight on it was great. Yeah, Becca taught us a lot and we're excited that when things get back to normal, I think we're all going to go climbing one day and just see uh, who can get up the speed wall the fastest. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that competition myself. Maybe uh, give myself a little bit more street cred. You know, I also did think it was important that we had a non-varsity athlete on the podcast early. This podcast, we want obviously current and former varsity athletes, but, you know, there's a whole recreation side to uh, the world of the Vikes that people might not know about. And I think this was a great spot to jump in with that. Agreed. So here we go. We're going to jump right into it. You guys enjoy the podcast. Let us know what you think through Twitter, Instagram, send us a message. And don't forget to let us know who you'd like to see on the podcast next. So now we go to our interview with Becca Frangos. Today we are happy to have Becca Frangos chatting with us. Becca is a member of the Canadian National Climbing Team and a current student at UVic. Living and training in Victoria, Becca competes on the International Federation of Sport Climbing World Cup circuit and has her eyes set on the 2024 Olympics in Paris, France. Welcome to the show, Becca. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, of course. Thanks for coming on with us. Let's get going. So Becca from Canmore, I'm an Albertan boy, so I can vouch for this. Canmore is a beautiful part of the country, surrounded by the great Rocky Mountains. I'm assuming that's probably a great spot to get going with a climbing career. Yeah, I mean, growing up in Canmore was definitely a unique experience. I mean, it's such a sport-oriented town. I mean, I think basically, like, by the time I could walk, I was already, you know, downhill skiing and cross-country skiing and, you know, learning how to bike ride and my life a, a little bit later when I was nine or 10 through a summer camp. Um, but yeah, Camor is an amazing place and there's tons of world-class climbing and just lots of really inspiring athletes to uh, be surrounded by. When did you start to decide to pursue it as a competition? A few years after um, I started climbing through those summer camps with my twin sister, Sarah, uh, we were invited to join the youth competitive team uh, in Canmore at the old climbing gym called The Vision. So when I was around 12, I started competing just at some local events um, just to get a feel for it. And then uh, a year and a half later, I made my first youth national team um, and was able to represent Canada at the Youth World Championships in Austria uh, that summer of 2011. So things kind of took off pretty quick and I got like really into it pretty fast. Wow, so 13, 14 actually started competing then pretty pretty competitively. Yeah. You're natural. So, <laughs> so you decided to move to Victoria at some point. Was that decision based on the school or training or both? Mm -hmm. It was definitely both. I had lots of friends who were a few years older than me who already had been at UVic for a few years and they were saying how much they loved it and you know for me a really important aspect of you know my life and growing up in Canmore is you know being outside and being able to have that part of my life and Victoria was a great option for that because I knew that the school was going to be great but I was also you know able to spend lots of time outside in my free time and you know go 
hiking and biking and outdoor climbing. And um, I knew also from competing in Victoria a few times throughout my youth career that the training situation was going to be pretty optimal. So yeah, a whole bunch of factors went into that decision. But yeah, definitely both school and training were very important for me to consider. So when you're training out of Victoria, what are the gyms that you're, you're kind of focusing on? Um, I'm honestly all over the place, but I would say I spend most of my time uh, at Boulder House, uh, which is just off of Hillside. Mm -hmm. Um, So I spend lots of time there um, with kind of numerous training partners, people that I met in the community when I first moved to Victoria, as well as some of um, people that I've been competing with that moved to Victoria around the same time as me. Um, And I also spend some time occasionally at Cragax, Carsa, as well as uh, Boulders, which is out in Saanich. Okay, yeah. So you definitely Uh, do jump around quite a bit to get all the different Jump around quite a bit, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so before we get into uh, some climbing-specific questions, we thought it would be a good idea to kind of have you break down the sport a little bit for us. How does that sound? Mm -hmm. Yeah, sounds great. So can you explain the different climbing disciplines for us? Yeah, so for competition, uh, there's three different disciplines in climbing. There's sport climbing, there's so lead climbing, there's bouldering, and there's speed. Um, so speed, which is probably the easiest to understand, is basically there's a 15-meter wall, um, and it's pretty vertical. And the holds that are set up are always in the same configuration, and it's basically just a race to the top. Um, so for competitions, the holds are always organized in the same way. So for training, you're also trying to train on that same configuration of holds. And the goal is basically just to get to the top the fastest and you're racing against someone in a competition. Mm. Um, And then there's bouldering, which is what I think most people are familiar with when they start out climbing, which is uh, climbing on the short walls where you fall onto mats. So you don't have any like safety gear on. Um, And in competition for the qualification round, you're presented with five boulders that you have not seen And you come out and you have five minutes to try to complete this boulder. And then you have a five minute break. And then you repeat that four more times for the remaining boulders. So it's, you know, a lot of quick thinking, problem solving skills, and also, you know, fitness, because you have to be able to recover quickly in that five minute period before trying that next climb. And then there's lead climbing, which is uh, on the tall walls. So usually at World Cup events, they're between 35 and 50 feet tall. And again, this is based on difficulty. Um, So you're trying to climb as high as you can and you only have one try. Uh, For that, there is a time limit, an eight, uh, six minute time limit, but it's usually not too much of an issue. So it's more about the difficulty than the speed, if that makes sense. So with lead climbing, you're not necessarily going up against somebody directly at the same time as you would be in, in speed, for example. No. So you're, you know, when it's your turn, you're, you know, usually the only one on the wall or there's um, a male climbing the male route to the left of you um, or right of you. But you're just kind of it's you against the wall. And then whoever climbs the highest would get uh, that first place spot. Okay, gotcha. So if if you were to try to get somebody into the sport, where do you think they would be best to start at? Mm -hmm. It's actually interesting. There's a few different schools of thought um, on this. I think I mean, in Canada, there's kind of an abundance of bouldering gyms. So I would say that's probably where most people start. Although some people don't really like falling off the wall because it kind of scares them. So sometimes uh, starting on the ropes, uh, especially for kids, is a great way to get into it a little bit. But I would say bouldering is probably, you know, the, the obvious and, you know, go to the gym for a few hours and just play around. And there's tons and tons of options in terms of difficulty and wall angles and it's kind of a, a fun and inviting community. So I think that's where a lot of people usually start. 
And I think that's a huge draw to the climbing community is that it, it is really easy to get involved with. And it's also mm-hmm. a super social sport that's encouraging. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So the format of the climbing competitions, how are they normally scored? Yeah. So um, again, it's uh, different for bouldering and lead, but for bouldering, so the, those five climbs I was telling you about for qualifications, uh, they're scored using what's called a zone and a top format. So you get the ultimate goal is to get to the top of the boulder. And then that, that kind of sub goal would be to get the zone hold, which is usually, you know, halfway or a little bit uh, more up the boulder. So if the boulder is like seven holds, it's usually like the the fourth or the fifth hold. Okay. Um, and then what they do is they add up the score. So for example, if you do two of the five boulders, you would have two tops and then they score your attempts. So say you get those in two tries. So it only takes you one try on each. It would be two tops in two tries. And then say you got four zone holds on the five boulders would be two tops and two tries and then you'd get four zones in like let's say five attempts and like I said the most important thing is the tops and then the second most important is your number of zone holds and then it's attempts to top and attempts to zone so when you're doing when you're doing a combined score you're looking for a, a lowest cumulative score then essentially right Yeah. So then again, that's another, a whole different thing. So for the combined format for the Olympics, um, we're having to compete in speed, bouldering and lead. And yes, the way you're right with that, the way that that works is they take your individual ranking from each of the disciplines and they multiply them together. So the, the best thing would be, you know, to have a first place in all three, which is unlikely, but that would give you a score of one. So the lowest score is the best. Yes. Okay. Kind of like golf, but on a wall. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Now, when you're at these competitions, it seems like just from, you know, paying attention to a couple small events and watching uh, some documentaries that there's something different about the culture in the sport. And it seems to be very encouraging and dynamic. Do you find that uh, to be the same? You know, everyone's kind of encouraging each other at these uh, World Cup events? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I definitely would say so. And that's been, you know, a huge draw to the sport for me. You know, I grew up doing tons of different sports and I I cross-country skied competitively for a number of years, like seven or eight years. And I just, one of the reasons I actually left the sport was I just wasn't enjoying, you know, the social aspect of it. Like your own teammates would try to trip you in races. Like it was pretty cutthroat. And, you know, I came to climbing and competing and no matter what level of competition you're at, everyone is so supportive. And I've made some lifelong friends through the sport and just have enjoyed it so much. And I think, yeah, that's a huge draw for people. There's not even like a little bit of trash talk, like, oh, Hey, wow, I made it up to the top of the boulder like way faster than you. Like nothing? Or like I, burn, I, think... I got that hole that you did. <laughs> yeah. I think there's always going to be like a certain amount of friendly trash talk. Okay. But I yeah. think in general, you want your competitors to succeed and you want to see everyone do as best they can. It's really kind of, that's what's so unique about climbing is, you know, it's kind of you against the wall. It's not really you against anyone else. I feel, I feel that the Canadian version of climbing trash talk would be apologizing to your com- competitors <laughs> for making it further. Yeah, yep, checks out. <laughs> uh, you already mentioned that you went to Austria at a very young age for a competition. Mm-hmm. What are some other spots in the world that you've had the opportunity to travel and compete in? I've been super lucky uh, from that standpoint, and climbing has definitely taken me all over the world. Yeah, throughout my youth career, I traveled to Singapore, uh, Ecuador, Italy. 
uh, lots of places in Europe. Um, and then, yeah, usually with the Open World Cup circuit now, the majority of it's in Europe. But I do also go to some events in China and Japan as well. So lots of places. Wow. So the passport, it's filled out with uh, stamps from all these different countries. That must be pretty cool. Yeah, definitely pretty cool. Do you have any favorite places to climb, like a favorite mountain or a favorite indoor gym, maybe a specific route, anything uh, in general that you've discovered over the years? Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there's so much opportunity for amazing climbing, you know, both within Canada and Europe and North America. There's just, there's so much. Um, but I would say probably my ultimate like favorite outdoor climbing spot is actually Kalimnos in Greece. It has some pretty crazy rock features and it's just like a great spot to vacation and also climb. So it's like best of both worlds. <laughs> is Kalimnos on one of like the small islands or is it, it the is. itself? Yeah. Okay. Um it's on it's an island itself and it's about like an hour flight from Athens. Oh my hmm. God. What I wouldn't do to be there right now. Oh just yeah. Enjoying it. <laughs> you you mentioned that you get the opportunity to these fun trips and do you ever get the chance to meet up with some of your friends in Europe on these trips and just go climb for fun? Yeah, I mean, it usually with the World Cup schedule and, you know, the summertime is pretty packed with competitions. Like we basically have an event, you know, every weekend or every other weekend. So there isn't usually a ton of time for like dedicated outdoor trips if you're focused on competing. But usually between events, you know, we'll all people from different teams will train together you know we'll go on some fun hikes we'll just like tour around so there's lots of opportunity for like that social interaction with people from your own team and other teams but I I wouldn't say there's often a ton of time for just like fun outdoor climbing during during comp season unfortunately (laughs) so you're always kind of on you're always training or looking for routes that'll push you to your best in a way yeah for sure Obviously, there's a really complex formula behind grading different routes and different difficulties. Is there a simplified way that you could that you could explain that for us? That's a good question. I mean, basically, I guess as simple as I can put it is it's very subjective. So, you know, what one person finds difficult might not be so difficult for someone else based on, you know, your strengths and weaknesses. Hmm. But usually... Um, it's based on a number of things, including like the angle of the climb. So, you know, usually if the steeper something is, the harder it will be, the smaller the holds are, the harder it'll be to hold on. And also the distance between moves. So with outdoor grades for, for lead climbing, the way it works is 5.4 is like the easiest. So that's basically like if you can imagine kind of a scramble, so you wouldn't even necessarily need protection. It's like you're kind of just using your hands and feet to kind of climb over a little, you like know. Like you're going like, up Finlayson kind of thing. Kind of, yeah, for sure. Okay. So that's kind of the easiest. And then it all goes all the way, kind of in increasing numbers, all the way up to the hardest climb in the world right now, uh, which is 515C. So once it gets to 510, it goes A, B, C, D through each so it's like 510, ABCD, 511, ABCD, et cetera, all the way up to 515C, which only, you know, two people have completed in the entire world. So it gets pretty tough. What's the name of that climb and do you know where it is? There's one of them is called Change and it's in a massive cave in Norway. And then there's, yeah, there's a few others as well. But yeah, um, most of them, the really, really hard stuff is in Europe. If people aren't really understanding the grading system the there's a documentary on netflix right now the dawn wall <laughs> i watched it a couple weeks ago it 
there's like a two minute session where it talks about the gradient and it lays it out in a very easy way to understand. So if, if that's something, if people are just confused, listen, yeah. to it, just check out that documentary. I might bring it up a little bit later, but so, you know, you're out climbing. How difficult is it to find a new route and how do you know if route has been climbed already? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a good question. So usually, you know, lots of local areas will have guidebooks um so you'll open it up to like the section and it'll show the cliff face in a in a photo and it'll show kind of like the lines of where the climbs are um usually with like colored marker and on that and like a number you're able to you know read about the description about the climb who put it up how hard it is and like some details about it but uh, like sometimes like there, you know, you'll show up at a cliff and, and figuring out how hard something is just based on, you know, your past experience. So always that um, it's been climbed before, but at um, for sure busy areas, there's always like a guidebook or. So if you're the first one to climb a new route, does that mean you get to name it? Yeah. So being the first one to climb routes called a first ascent. And yeah, you can name it. Uh, you're able to grade the difficulty. And then, you know, you would often encourage other people to come and try it to, you know, see how hard it is and give their feedback. Because like I said, it, it's so subjective. So, you know, you could think it's a certain grade and then, you know, a few other people climb it and think it's harder, or easier. And usually will, people will come to con- the consensus, you know, once a decent amount of people have done it. Do you have a favorite route that you've named? I have not actually put up any um, oh, roots okay. as a first descent. I have just climbed what's there so far, but that's definitely like a life goal of mine. Okay, so if you were to create your own route today, what would you name it? Yeah, no pressure. Oh, we only have a, a lifetime that you could have been thinking about this. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly don't know. I think it would. I think though it would have something to do with like the, the nature of the climb itself. Okay. Uh, so I'd have to like try it first and see kind of like how I felt about it and like what emotions it brought up and then I would maybe decide from there. I think I would name mine based on like the meal that I was going to eat after it. But <laughs> I think I would call if I had this killer route that I set, I think I'd probably say like eating a BLT after this. I think that's what I would name it. That's a good name. Whereas I'm like the eagle maniac and I'm very vain. I would name it after myself. Just your full name. <laughs> <Just your> name. <laughs> or like Tyler's Trail. Tyler's Tricky Trail. That's a that's got a good ring. To Sir it. Tyler's Tricky Trail. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think Perfect. Exactly. Next time we do this, Becca, you gotta have a good one for us. Okay. I'll try my best. <laughs> okay, let's talk a little bit about training. So I imagine uh, needing a pretty unique uh, body type and lean muscle mass, you probably have a pretty like cut down training routine what's that like Mm -hmm. I mean it changes throughout the you know the year depending on what events I'm training for kind of like what phase I'm in in terms of like if it's early in the season and I don't have competitions for you know five or six months like I would be trying to build up like general strength so I'd be doing I'm kind of in like you can say the off season in like the fall so between you know, usually like October and December, I'm doing a lot of general strength stuff. So weightlifting in the gym, building up some power again, doing like some specific climbing conditioning exercises for that. And then having just kind of fun in general, going to the gym and, and doing what I want. And then once things get towards the competition phase, things kind of become more structured and specific based on what I'm preparing for. Do you need to have to be on the wall to be training? Or do you find that it's like a good balance to be like, on the wall one day, off at the next. Mm-hmm, kind of mm-hmm. I mean, the majority of my training is on the wall. Like I, 
I climb, you know, five, six days a week, but it's also really, really important to give yourself, you know, rest and days where you're not on the wall, you know, working antagonist muscles. And for me, a huge part of, I think my success recently has been uh, working with my strength and conditioning coach, Chris Hinton, who's out at the Pacific Institute for Sports Excellence in Victoria. And, you know, we do tons of off the wall, like jumping and lower body power just so that you know you're able to build that lean muscle mass for when you're presented with you know big moves where you're having to jump on the wall and you being in general really really strong just helps you with that do you have like a specific recovery routine as well Mm -hmm. I mean usually because my rest days you know I don't have a ton of them I usually have one day a week I honestly like my tried and true method is just to do as little as possible so like take as little steps as possible that day, you know, eat really well, watch some Netflix, sit on the couch, like just try to relax completely and not do a ton. Okay, what is your diet like? Do you do like low carb, high fat, high protein kind of thing? Or do you watch that sort of stuff? Um, I mean, as obviously as a high performance athlete, it's it's a diet, you know, super, nutrition is super important. And you want to be, you know, fueling your body as best as you can. But for me, you know, eating intuitively is really important. I try not to, you know, restrict what I can and can't have. I just kind of eat what I feel like. And that's having like well-balanced meals with, you know, protein, carbs, fats, veggies, like just a, just well-balanced meals throughout the day. And then obviously occasionally treating myself to something sweet or, you know, quote unquote unhealthy, because I think it's really important to have balance uh, in life. And like, what is life without chocolate, honestly? I think everybody needs a celebratory <laughs> chocolate bar or a celebratory donut, maybe once a week. Yes, Just for saying, hey, you made it to Friday, <laughs> eat your donut. Let's yeah, have a weekend. totally. You mentioned that your diet is kind of balanced, but I'm just curious, how much of your diet is consisted of kale? Oh, I, I'm not a kale fan, let me tell you. Oh, it, okay. Well, welcome to the team. Yeah, it makes me feel like <laughs> you're on the right podcast. <laughs> just eating leaves. <laughs> I just asked because I noticed in some climbing documentaries, it seems that's all these climbers are eating are just like these huge meals of kale, and I just couldn't wrap my mind yeah, around no, that. I'm kale and that. seeds, <laughs> like seeds and nuts. Okay, another question for you. So obviously, you're, you've got unreal grip strength. When was the last time you dropped something? Um. Uh, Yesterday, I dropped like. <laughs> oh, you sure you want to be saying this? I would have milked that and just said I've never dropped it. Never, never. Life. No, I drop things all the time. No. <laughs> but I, you probably move very like strategically to pick it up mm. after, and you're like, oh, this is kind of like this movement, and this is like yeah, this, you know, right? one leg like bending down, picking it up with your mouth, and mm. then <laughs> coming back up. Unless it's a rest day, then you. Just oh yeah, it. yeah. I don't even pick it up. Okay, so we're gonna play a little bit of a game later on. But I think right now what we're going to do is talk a little bit about the World Cup circuit. And mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds sound? great. Obviously, your training has taken you to some great circuits and you, you know, you're targeting the Olympics mm-hmm. now. We're just kind of curious, how is it, what's your competition schedule? How is it laid out throughout the year? Uh, do you always compete in all three disciplines or do you uh, mix it up a little bit? What's your competition schedule mm-hmm. like these days? I mean, these days there isn't a competition schedule because of uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. this in virus situation. Way. But uh, in normal yeah, life. so usually uh, the international season for Open, which is 16 years old and up, usually it runs starting mid-April and runs till... June for bouldering and there's usually a few speed events mixed in there as well and then 
the lead season runs from mainly in the summer, so July, August, and then there's usually a few events in the fall in October. So it's kind of like a long drawn out bunch of months. uh, And the disciplines are mainly split. But, you know, with the inclusion in the Olympics for Tokyo 2021, we've had obviously more combined events over the last few years as qualifications, as well as to kind of prepare people for this. So quite a few world championships the last two years have been combined format. So you would show up and you compete in all three disciplines separately. And then your score, like we were talking about before, is combined. And then they would take a certain amount of people, usually top 20, to like a specific combined event that they would run the next few days. So it kind of, yeah, like I said, just depends on the event. So sometimes it's combined, sometimes it's separate. I think we should probably ask you as well, which of the three disciplines do you least like the most? I am not a huge fan of speed. (laughs) I feel like that's probably the common consensus for people that don't train that often. Yeah, I mean, historically, like, because speed is, it's just so different from the other two disciplines. You know, if you're a speed specialist and it's something that you've been doing, you know, since you're young most of those athletes like will only speed climb. Whereas like someone like me who grew up doing bouldering and lead, I never really speed climbed at all until a few years ago when I realized it was something I was going to have to start training to work towards the Olympics. So it's definitely just very different. And personally, I just find it hard to stay motivated to train something where you're, you're always just repeating the same thing over and over and over again. What's a good speed time, more or less? So if you can imagine, the world record for climbing up the 15-meter wall is just under six seconds, which <laughs> I, if you YouTube the video, it looks insane. It's like someone is running up a wall. Yeah, Spider-Man. yeah. So it's. I would highly recommend you go watch one because you don't fully understand it until you see it, and you're like, "How is this possible?" <laughs> I think Tyler would struggle to run 15 meters in six seconds. <laughs> no, I'm fast. I'm telling you, I got wheels, and I was I was into climbing at like 10 years old, and that's all I would do is uh, how fast I could go up it. But it's been a it's been a long time since I've been. Yeah, and I think the average person, like who you know, has maybe been climbing for a few years, and is trying the speed route for the first time would probably take at least 40 seconds to get to the top. Okay. Yeah. It's not an easy climb either. Like the holds themselves aren't great. And if you're not, you know, climbing quickly, the distances between them are really far. So it's actually harder to climb it slow. So some people even like fall off the first time they try it. (laughs) So they're quite large holds that you're kind of like propelling yourself up, right? Well, I feel like if you do need an extra speed climbing trainer, Tyler sounds like he, he can be your guy. Sure, yeah. So, another right. another fun challenge for me to try out at Carso one of these days. <laughs> just lastly, I, I just wanted to ask you with, uh, you know, this schedule and all the circuits you have, is it difficult to balance, you know, your school life with all this competition mm-hmm. schedules you have I going mean, on? It's pretty lucky from the standpoint that, you know, the majority of the international season is in the summer when I'm not in class. But it's definitely a big challenge for me to kind of just balance day to day life, you know, training like 20 plus hours a week and also being like a full time student. You know, it doesn't give me a ton of time, like a ton of free time, a ton of time to hang out with friends. I'm usually, you know, going to class, going home, going to the gym, eating, going back to the gym, doing homework, going to bed, repeat kind of thing. So 
it's definitely busy, but I've, mm-hmm. I've learned to manage it really well over the last few years. And, you know, it's just, yeah, something that I've realized is what I've had to deal with to, you know, be at the top of the sport. And it's, it's been a good challenge for sure. And I've definitely enjoyed having that balance between school and training and competing because for me, um, if I don't have kind of something else in my life to focus on, I just find that my mind is, you know, all consumed by training and climbing all the time, which, you know, isn't the best for me. So it's actually, I've definitely enjoyed having the school aspect on the side of being a high performance athlete. Do you get to meet any like climbing celebrities? Um, I wouldn't say in my day to day life, but definitely when I, you know, when I go compete on the World Cup circuit, there's, there's tons that you, you run into often. <laughs> And are they like very down to earth? Yeah, kind of that same like encouraging vibe. No, definitely or not. Are you, like, Honestly, everyone is so supportive and just like chill. No matter like how amazing you are, or if it's your first day climbing, that's you know what I love so much about it is it's just everyone is just there because they love to climb and is so are so supportive. So it's pretty cool. I think it's going to be really cool for all those people that have been in climbing for so many years mm-hmm. to finally see it hit the Olympics mm-hmm. and just see how big that's going to propel the sport. So yeah, Olympics in now 2021, three disciplines are combined together, but 2024, they're <laughs> separated, which you're probably stoked about because speed is completely yeah. out of the picture. So can you, well, it's a separate event. So can you talk a little bit about um, Yeah, so for 2024, what they're doing is they're leaving lead and bouldering as a combined event and they're splitting speed away which in my opinion is great because it gives those speed specialists uh, an opportunity to qualify for the Olympics that they, they wouldn't really normally have because as a speed specialist, it's so hard to kind of like transfer that to bouldering and lead. And a lot of, you know, the world's best speed climbers won't be in 2021 because of that. And I think that's a shame. I think if you're at the top of your discipline, you should totally get to go to the Olympics. So I think it's it's great that they're splitting it away and it'll it'll give those specialists the opportunity to go um, that they might not have had in 2021. So it's it's good. So something also pretty unique about qualifying qualifying for the Olympics is there's only yes. two spots per gender per country. So you could have like 20 of the top climbers uh, be from like Austria, for example. But only yeah, two of them so that's actually been a huge correct? thing because, um, you know, some of I would say like the best country right now in the world for comp climbers is Japan. Um, and if mm-hmm. this like quota didn't, um, this maximum two per country quota didn't exist, you know, like more than half of the Olympic team would be Japanese climbers. So it's hard for people when, you know, they're coming top two top three in the world and if you know they're just the unlucky like third person at that event then they they just can't go but that's just how they've decided they've decided to do it and to have that kind of representation from a bunch of different countries instead of just a few how many spots in so 20 female and 20 male women and then to qualify, there's these these large events, but there's also yes. These so um, for the from. first, the biggest qualification event happened last August in Tokyo, which was the World Championships. Um, and from that event, they took the top seven athletes. And then there was a special Olympic qualifying event, um, which was again a world event uh, in this past November in France, and they took six 
from that event. And then the remaining spots were the five continental events. So one spot per continent. And then host country gets a guaranteed spot, as well as there's a tripartite spot, which is usually given to NSOs who had previously like not a ton of Olympic representation, but actually with the tripartite spot as well as the host country spot, those were reallocated to the world championships because Japan already qualified two athletes at the first event. So they couldn't have a third and the, no one applied for that tripartite spot. So that was just reallocated. So they actually ended up taking nine from world championships and then the only remaining events are the few continental events that were supposed to happen in April, but have not because of the virus. So they'll be happening most likely later in the fall for those last few spots. So with with the continental events, are you're not no, able to like no. jump to a different So continent. for ours, yeah, um, we actually just okay. managed to sneak it in right before everything shut down. Ours was in L.A., and that involved North, Central, and South American athletes. Um, and there's just, yes, one female and one male spot for that. It's tight to, to try and make that. So with the spotlight now on climbing being in the Olympics, what's mm-hmm. in store for I mean, that's a, that's a big question. I think that hopefully more funding for climbing because, you know, it's less of a well-known sport than a lot of other Olympic sports. And we don't have a ton of support, government support as a, like a a federation yet so i think that aspect will be super positive just having more exposure and we do have a one male and one female canadian athletes qualify for the olympics which i think will be a huge you know step forward for from that standpoint i just think it'll become more mainstream and we've already seen it in the last few years like so many more people are getting into it so i think it'll just continue to develop I think also mm-hmm. it being such a simple mm-hmm. sport to get into with limited amount of gear. Neither yeah, for sure. I mean, all, all you need is like a pair of shoes and some chalk to dry your hands. So it's pretty easy for people to get into it. And, you know, you can rent all that stuff at the gym itself. So you can really just show up and give it a go. So I think we're going to do a little game based on some terminology. <laughs> uh, this is going to be at Tyler's expense entirely. It's so never happened before. I've asked... It's, it's, I've never been the punching bag in something like this. So what we've done is I've asked Tyler to become a moderate climbing expert, but not necessarily give him any guidance. So the man has gone and followed Patagonia and Mac on Instagram. (laughs) He started to eat more kale and more seeds. Big time. And uh, he's been stretching for 20 minutes a day. So I think the the missing piece, though, is Tyler really doesn't know a lot of these climbing terms when he's watching his climbing documentaries. So, Becca, we're going to get you to fill him in a little bit. So what's going to go down? I'm going to list a bunch of climbing terms, and uh, we're going to give Tyler the opportunity to see what he thinks they mean. After each attempt, uh, Becca, Great. I'll let you explain what the term is for us. How does that sound? Okay, we're going we're gonna to start nice and easy and go harder from there. So Tyler, what is a hold? A hold? I mean, it's, the definition is in the word, right? I mean, you're holding onto like a rock. That's, yeah. It, would, it can be a rock. It can be a plastic hold in a That's gym. Amazing. Yeah. Perfect. In my mind, when I'm describing these terms, I'm picturing like being out on a real mountain, not inside. I got nothing against indoor gyms, but that's just that's just how I see it in my mind. So you're you're kind of covering yourself if you if you mess up. Yeah. Oh yeah. Good. Good to clarify. Okay. What is uh what does it mean to belay? 
First of all, I just got an issue with this word. I don't like the word. Uh, I don't. I think it's a weird word to say. It seems like it's a combination of two different <laughs> words, like relay and maybe something else. But I'm pretty sure belay is that's. A, so if you go climbing with two people, he's the guy that like pulls the slack out of the rope and like helps you get up and down. Yeah, it's the person that, who's at the bottom oh, yeah. of the wall that's holding the rope. So as you go up, if you fall, you don't fall to your death. You they catch you. So, what kind um, of so you, you need, need a rope, uh, obviously, and then you also need a belay device, yeah. um, and there's a few different types of those. One's called a grigri, and the other is called an ATC. <laughs> yeah, a grigri would have been a great, great one to include. <laughs> I would have no clue. Yeah, I wish I thought of that. Is it possible to uh, belay someone that's like 50 pounds heavier mm-hmm. than you? Like, I mean, is it, is the belayer isn't like pulling the person up the wall they're just there for when they fall so that actually is a really good point if you are belaying someone that is a lot heavier than you um when they fall they'll pull you you up so you definitely have to be careful that either you're you know ready for that and you like jump a little bit when they fall and you're just like prepared to kind of spring up in the air or um, a lot of times you know if like kids are belaying you know their parent they'll attach themselves to like an anchor like on a tree or on the ground so they don't fly up when they're lowering the person down because if you're up on the wall and you you fall you could fall while like mm-hmm. five, i guess it depends on yeah the so is, but um with lead feet, climbing right? you know you're you're clipping in the rope as you go so if you fall above your last like the last point that you've clipped in then you'll obviously fall to that point as well as like a little bit below based on how far you were above and there's also like a little bit of rope stretch so you know usually you're falling yeah like no more than like 10 15 feet okay okay cool tyler you're gonna have to get used yeah (laughs) okay term number three a carabiner carabiner a carabiner is that's the like the metal thing that the rope goes through, and so when you're belaying, it like sends it. Liam and I are on <laughs> all the terms. Yeah, all the terms. Liam and I are also on Skype right now, so he can see my arms doing the motion. But Beck, <laughs> Becca, you can't. It's really entertaining. And so I'm pretty sure that's the thing that like straps to your belt, and it, the rope goes through, and you can, can control the speed of what no, you're belaying. No, right? not quite. Not quite. Well. The, the first oh, part no. of that was right, and you got a little bit off track, but, but you're right. Yeah, so the carabiner is yeah. that the bottom of the draw, so where the metal bit will open up and you can put the rope into it as you're climbing. Yeah, you had that part. And then okay, you can so also use part. the carabiner. So yes. it's like a, a you also device. can use the carabiner to attach your belay device too. So that Grigory, the ATC I was talking about, you attach it to your harness oh. with a car- carabiner. I only have like four <laughs> water bottles in my house with a carabiner. Well, don't it. Like, use it, but you can't that. use your That's water bad. bottle carabiners for climbing. So, <laughs> they're not strong it, enough. <laughs> Disclaimer. Yeah, it's, yeah, I know. I don't know. Yeah. Usually they say on them, don't do this for climbing. But I mean, Ty, I wouldn't put it past Tyler. So I have a problem with this word. I think it should be carabiner. No, no. Or it, should, or it should be changed. The spelling I'm fine with carabiner. I'm okay with that word. Why is it spelled B-I-N-E-R? It should be B-E-A-N-E-R. Carabiner. I don't know. I'm not too sure. I'll right. let them know. If I can talk to your people, we'll figure this out. Okay, Tyler, you used this term earlier, but I don't even know if you knew what it meant when you said sending it. What does that mean? That's like uh, Jerry going full send, right? 
it's either going up the wall super fast, like you're just going for it, or you're yeah, no, you're the, the first one, one was right, like sending it, like you're getting to the top, like you're going for it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, yeah, that's what I figured. When, so when you send a uh, climb, so it's when like, you send the you climb, it, it doesn't try, mean right? that you got it necessarily on your first try. It just means that you got to the top and you didn't fall off. So it could have been like your fifth try, but you did it from the bottom to the top without falling. Okay, getting tougher. Yep. What's a toe hook? Toe uh, hook. That's got to be. It's like a hold, but for your feet. It's something you push off on, like with your, or you you dig into the mountain so you can push off your toe from that close. little toe hold. I guess you do. You do use it for your toe. Okay, but it's actually <laughs> so a toe. Yeah, hook that was a giveaway. Is when you actually hook your like toes behind a hold. If that makes sense. So if something is like hanging down from the wall, then you'd hook your foot behind it. So you're not actually stepping on it. You're like hooking behind it. Oh, interesting. So it's like using your fingers yes. to grab a thing, but it's using your yes. toes to grab something. I haven't mastered that yeah. yet. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's next week. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we got, we got four left, mm-hmm. and these are definitely really difficult. So I'm super excited. <laughs> so I think your letter grade may go down to a D based on these. Tyler, what is a crux? A crux. C-R-U-X. Okay. Is a crux like something I don't know I don't know why you would ever want to lean on something when you're like lean to support yourself when you're on a mountain or a cliff, but that's what I'm thinking in my mind. It's like something to, you know, support your body weight, something like that. Um no, <laughs> I think you're not right. Not. A crux is if you can imagine oh, okay. it's what describes the hardest part of a climb. So when people are like, Oh, the crux is halfway up, it's like oh, okay. the most difficult part is halfway up so something i've heard about climbing is yes, it's actually really difficult to down climb right but some people choose to down climb instead of going in the yeah crux, i mean right? if you For kind that, of like, like are poorly, but... either scared because you're a little bit above your like last drop like some people will down climb to kind of like where they last were to take a break or if like they're not sure of where to go you can down climb a bit but it's definitely harder than continuing on so you kind of might as well keep pushing forward i feel like tyler another thing to take into account here yeah got notes going yeah first of all liam like are we sure liam knew these words before he put me through the ringer here like yeah i, I did okay you, did. you could be lying i mean i don't know i climbed tyler I know okay sure about. a dino dino not to be confused with a dinosaur but a dino d-y-n so not the u of calgary dinos no. Okay, I think I know this one just because I mentioned the Dawn Wall earlier and watched that. I actually watched that before we interviewed Beckett, not to sure, prepare sure. or study or anything. It was just looked cool. And so my... Yeah, no, that's a lie. It's, it's, not, it's not a lie. But I just want to say that my guy, Kevin Jorgensen, <laughs> is the hero of the movie for multiple reasons. I think he did this incredible thing. A dino is like a gap in the wall where you like yeah, jump yeah. and you grab. You got it something. right. He, yeah. Yeah. He pulled up. He's also doing oh, great. I wish I could like, see this right now. <laughs> like miming this beautifully too. Because I remember that because Kevin Jorgensen pulled off the dino whereas like Tommy Caldwell had to do the down climb and go around because he was too scared of doing the <laughs> dino. And my guy pulled it off. It was awesome. A plus. Yeah. A plus on that one, yeah. Tyler. I think also a plus yeah, you're on your supporting your answers with examples. Like I'm I've so seen two. Okay, so you're gonna you've seen free solo, right? I uh, have, yeah. <laughs> okay, see if you can work free solo as an example into this. But one. I haven't seen it as recently, though. That's okay. You may you may also not know this okay. word, so who knows? 
Traverse. Okay, Traverse. I definitely know Traverse <laughs> from the Dawn Wall. That's where, again, Kevin Jorgensen, he spent like two weeks trying to traverse this impossible section, and they made it look like he was never going to pull it off and that Tommy had to go climb the rest of the mountain himself. And then, like, incredible moment. He gets all the way across, and he's he just, like, screams into the face of the mountain because there's nowhere to turn around or anything. So a traverse. Okay, but you haven't explained yeah, yeah, no, what traverse getting, is. I'm getting to it. So it's, okay. a traverse is, like, instead of going up or down, you just go lateral across, yeah. like, a, across the mountain face. Okay, you know what? I'm really going to challenge you on this one. Okay. The last one. Yeah. I want you to get out of your outdoor mountain climbing mind and see if you can go indoors for a sec. Okay. Not because it's an only indoor word, but I want to see if you can do it. Crimp. What is a crimp? Crimp. C-R-I-M-P. See, if you would have, if you didn't put the disclaimer in that I had to go indoors, I would have thought like a crimp is something like one of those things they nail when they're doing new climbs, they nail into the wall so they can hook them up to it. And so the, Becca, no, what's that it, called? Uh, a bolt. A bolt, not a crimp. Okay. Well, I, I don't know. I have no <laughs> okay. idea what a crimp is. A crimp is, is a type come. of climbing hold that's know. like a very small edge that you have to kind of grab with all four fingers. And usually there's only like five to seven millimeters of space on your fingers to grab it. So it's like really, really, really small. Wow. Okay. Yeah, Tyler, you did pretty well. Yeah. You got what, what did we start with? I can't remember. We started with hold, hold right. You got hold right. You got belay. <laughs> you didn't get caramel, no. which is shocking. Yeah, I regret sending I regret it. You one. got yeah, send full send toe hook. I'm gonna give you a half mark. Okay, did you get crux? no crux? Was a was a wrong answer. You got dino because that's when you started referencing your climbing dogs. Yeah, and Kevin. Yeah, <laughs> your boy Kevin traverse. You got. Yeah. And then you didn't get crimp. No. So that's a pass. So you got that's at least a pass. One, two, three, four, five, nice. and a half out of eight and a half. You did pretty good. Okay. I'll take that. Yeah, I'll take that. Passing great. Uh, I just want to throw it back to the Dawn Wall for one last time. <laughs> uh, Becca, uh, these, so these guys spent like, I don't know what it was, like 19 days on the Have, have you ever like slept in a tent attached to a cliff before? <laughs> that looked oh, terrifying. Maybe. <laughs> Is that I don't know. Do I'm definitely day? more into like the shorter day trip type deals. <laughs> I just had no clue how these guys were hammering into like the it, face of this mountain and then suspending like a couple hundreds pounds of weight of in a tent and just and being okay with to it. Like, do that that for sure. <laughs> I'm not even going to get into like how the heck they went to the bathroom up there, but whatever. Okay, last question for you, Becca, then we'll let you get on your way. Give us a plug for your sport. Why should oh, kids, adults, um, teens? I think I'm going back to the community thing. Like, it's just so much fun to be around, you know, like-minded people that are all so psyched and supportive. And, yeah, I think, like, you go give it a try anywhere. And you walk into the gym and you'll be greeted with tons of smiling faces and just people that are just keen to be there. So I would say give it a go because of that. Well, thanks, Becca. You've definitely put smiles on our faces for the rest of the day and, and give us some great laughs. Uh, yeah. Um, where can people follow I would say the best place to follow me is my Instagram, which is just uh, Becca underscore Frangos. Um, and they also have like a, a athlete Facebook page that people can follow. But yeah, Instagram is definitely the place to be. <laughs> right on. Well, thank you so much, Becca. Bye. All the best and take care. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. 
Thanks once again to Becca for giving us some of her time today. I think it's safe to say that we both learned something about climbing. Hopefully the listeners did as well. Make sure to follow her on all of her social media channels and cheer on her Olympic dream. Liam, how do you think I did on that terminology quiz? What'd you get? Five and a half out of 10 around there. I, I would probably give you a, a passing grade. Nothing special, a B minus maybe. I mean, you're well on your way to becoming a, uh, a successful climber. I don't know if you're going to be ripping up walls, but I think you'll be able to get off the ground. Hold on. You just said I got like five and a half out of 10, and that's worthy of a B minus in your mind? Like, I'm just curious what your grading system is. Do you want to work I can give you a D if you want. I was just trying to be nice. Yeah. I didn't want to deflate your tires completely. No. I mean, a B minus is certainly not a five and a half. I'm fine with just the pass. It's, uh, I'm in a pass or fail world right now, and I'll gladly just take the pass. Okay, that's fine with me. I think Becca actually brought a lot to the table and being able to educate you. So I'm excited for you trying all these new movements out once you get back on the wall. Yeah, I'm going to have to call out uh, Sebastian here. He was supposed to join in on the lunchtime squash run with you, me and Jason back when squash was still happening. And he said if he came out to squash, then we'd get to go on the climbing wall at lunch. And that never happened. He never held up his end of the bargain. So I'm still waiting to hop on that wall one of these days. Let's make it happen. I'm down. Definitely down. Perfect. Okay, well, that's going to do it for this episode, guys. Coming up next week, we have Vikes soccer superstar Isaac Koch. He's coming off one of the greatest seasons in Vikes soccer history, and I we already recorded this one, and it's a lot of fun. We get into a lot of it, and he calls out a lot of his teammates, too. I think it'll be funny once the teammates start to hear what Isaac has to say, because we're going to get them knocking at the door to jump on and clap back at this podcast, so... Uh, We're going to definitely get some heat from the boys, but I think Isaac's going to get more heat than we will. If anyone wants to come on the podcast, just let us know. So if you like this content, please subscribe to get the newest and latest episodes. And if you have time, please rate and review our show. We want to boost those ratings, climb the charts, and maybe even take over Joe Rogan one of these days. So have a great week, everybody. Stay safe out there, friends, and make good decisions. Thanks for listening to the Give and Go Vikes podcast, supported by the UVic Alumni Association.